I'm excited to start this sermon series in Job. It's been, maybe it sounds a little bit strange, but it's been a comfort and a joy to study through Job. And it's been, um, I've just experienced that it is such a help to, to dive into the Word of God and to, to, to look into His Word. And so we're back in, into studying books of the Bible again. So maybe you would say, well, why do we choose to do it this way? Um, well, we believe that God reveals Himself through the Bible. As we study His Word, He's going to reveal Himself to us. We also believe uh, the scripture that says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. So that he, God's going to teach us, He's going to reprove us, He's going to correct us, and He's going to train us in righteousness. And why? Well, that's because then He can make us complete and equipped for every good work that He has for us. We believe that the Bible says that God has, before we were even made, or the world were made, has made a way for us to walk in where there's good deeds that we should do. So part of studying who God is, is also studying through the books of the Bible. And, uh, and we've seen, uh, the, I have another verse here, also from Hebrews. For the word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit and the joints of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our heart and no creature is hidden from God's sight or from his sight but all are naked exposed to the eyes of him who must give an account so the scripture is going to lay us bare uh, yeah this, the scripture is going to uh, the scripture is like a sword and it would pierce us, and it would uh, see what's in there, and it can even see our intentions of our heart. And then it says, well, God sees everything. So as we come to the scriptures, we can't just, we're going to be exposed for who we are and where we're at. And everyone is going to have to get an account. So that's why we go through the books of the Bible, because we can't get out of... Uh, we can't just say, oh my God, I'm not going to read this part, I'm not going to read this part. We choose one book and then we go through it. And then we have to deal with whatever it says about God and whatever it's going to say about us. And so, another, more anecdotally, we've seen how people come alive as we go through books. Especially one, actually, one of the girls I just mentioned in our Bible study once, I said, now the book makes sense. I think we were studying through Hebrews, and she had read it like bits and pieces many times. But as we studied through it, she got excited. Like now I understand. Now it makes sense. Like I get, I get why this book was here. And so that's another part. It's the part where God's going to meet you as we go through the book, as you study uh, this book of Job. Um, he's going to meet you, encounter you, and as we study it together. We can help each other as well. Now, why I picked the book of Job <clears throat> might not be obvious. Well, it has so many questions that's going to face us today, too. One of the biggest questions maybe most people have is, why? Why is this happening? We'll see if we get an answer in the book. Is God just? And what does that look like? 
Is God always good? Is, so, is suffering always God's judgment? Do I have a way that I can come to God? Can I bring my case to God? Does God understand me and my world? So some of those are some of the themes that's in the book. And if you lived any time here on earth, those are probably things you've already thought. And so we're going to have to wrestle with these themes as we come into this book. And then there's a little introduction. Uh, Job, is a, Job is a book. Uh, Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes are called what's called wisdom literature. So it's a literature, it's a literary genre uh, that's, that is, uh, talks about wisdom. And so you're like, what is wisdom? Well, wisdom is not just knowledge. It's not just searching the internet. That's information. And knowledge would be, I understand this information. Wisdom is then, I actually know how to apply this information. So there's an, there's an example from, from Proverbs where it says, in one example, it says, um, if somebody, is a, if a fool says something to you, you don't respond. And then a little bit later it says, if a fool says something to him, you respond. So people are like, oh, this, uh, there's a, there's a, um, Contradictions in the Bible. No, no, it's the literature form that means that you should know when to answer a fool and you should know when not to answer a fool. So it's a certain genre. Uh, some people would also see, see that the book of James in the New Testament has a lot of characteristics from uh, wisdom literature. It's not actually not only just wisdom literature, it's actually also a highly poetic. There's many, many, all the dialogues we're going to hear or in a poetic form. This is not by any means my strong side, but we will try to, as well to go, go into this. Um, so, what if we just... This is highly uncertain. For instance, we don't know who wrote the book of Job. We think that he lived around 1,900 to 2,000 before Jesus is born. He, uh, oh, I also have these for you, but I'll come back. Uh, we don't exactly know where he lives, but it's maybe down here somewhere in that part. Um, and I will just share the, in the land of us. So this is something that other people have said about the book of Job. The book of Job is, the, is a masterpiece, unequaled in all literature. Um, there is nothing written, I think, in the Bible or out of it, of equal literary merits. Okay? These are high expectations. Uh, yeah, so then what I was saying is the Book of Job has a unique structure. It's a mixture of prose and poetry, and monologue and dialogue. And then this guy says it's the greatest poem of ancient or modern times. So there's some people that are really excited about it. Um, it is Hebrew poetry, so they use uh, parallelism. Uh, one guy said, this guy is a brilliant guy who wrote it. He uses six different words for, words for a lion, which I don't know how, how you can, but he did. Um, and so you have some different characteristics of, uh, of Hebrew poetry. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. But, Abel. Can I get you to read the read for us today? You can just come. You can just come up and read if you're okay. Because then you can hear a, 
a fine voice from this young man, if you would read for us the, from us the, the first chapter of Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He, he possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand, and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burnt up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And Job arose, and tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell on the ground, and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, or charge God with wrong.
So we're looking at a man who was blameless and uh, blameless and upright. He's the greatest man in the East, he's called. He's very rich. He's a guy who walks, you can say, he walks the straight line, he walks with God, and he turns away from evil. And that's also the reputation that he has. He's been blessed with many, many possessions. And he even, he even, uh, as we read, he even, when he thinks that maybe his children could have done something wrong, he sends and makes an offering. If maybe they have done something wrong, even as we, as we talk about the scripture, it says it appeared uh, from um, from Hebrew uh, from Hebrews that maybe it was just uh, in their hearts they had gone astray. Then we see something very interesting: the scene changes from earth to heaven, and we have this meeting. We have this meeting where God is, uh, is meeting with the sons of God. And then uh, among them, Satan comes. So uh, you can say, it's, okay, well, it's this like, uh, kind of like a staff meeting. And people are coming and they are talking to God about what, what things have been going on. And then all of a sudden, Satan is there. Oh, the Satan. The adversary. The opponent. The accuser. And then we have this very, 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 very interesting um, exchange. God asked, it's always interesting when God asks questions. Because God knows. God knows everything. So he asked, he asked Satan, where have you been? God knows where he's been. Then Satan says, well, I've been uh, walking back and forth on the earth. I've been walking up and down. And, and, and you have this, you have this uh, idea, well, this is not, not going to be the end. God is going to do something more now. And he does. He does. He says to Satan, well, when you were walking up and down on the earth, did you see this guy? He's fantastic. He's amazing. He always walks with me. His children, I mean, he even intercedes for his children and different things. Satan, Satan's response is very, very interesting. He just says, uh, he, give, he gives Job no credit. No credit to God, no nothing. No, what does Satan say? Well, it's your fault, God. It's your fault. If you take away all the things, if you take away the protection you have around him, he will curse you straight to your face. Satan never acknowledges anything good. Never. He just accuses first God and then Job. Well, it's your fault, God, because he is not going to trust you. He will curse you to his face, to your face. As soon as you remove these uh, boundaries. So, reflecting and thinking on this interaction. Okay, so first of all, God knows where Satan was. He also knows what he's going to ask. 
you know, Saves is like, like, yeah, Job, he's a great guy. Like, I just love him. He's like fantastic. He worships you. You know, God even pointing out Job, most of will be like, like, why does he do this? Why does God do this? This is actually one of the things that has taken me a long time, but I've been reflecting on this. And we're not going to get the answer today, but I really do think that God's going to give Job something amazing later. Satan is going to have a fantastic defeat later. God is setting up Satan to fail. Mostly with our human eyes, we would see, why would God let this guy go through all these things? Well, we have to wait a minute. We're not done yet. We learned some very, very important things about the spiritual world as well. And it's good or it's bad, depending on our perspective. Everyone is limited. We had this, we had this talk at the Bible study at some point, where somebody asked, is there free will? Well, it depends on what you mean. But here we see this, there's not free will. Satan can't do whatever he wants. Satan is limited by God. So therefore, we don't have ultimate free will either. This is not a philosophical discussion. But we're all in the bounds of what God does or lets us do. So even Satan here, the most powerful evil spiritual being, cannot do anything that God has not allowed. Now that creates a lot of all issues in our minds. And we're like, but why does God... What, why does God allow him to do anything bad? And so on and so on. Whatever comes to us has passed through the hands of God. Now this can be an amazing comfort to us or like many people we can totally reject God because he didn't do what we wanted him to do. This will happen to all of us. Why God did you let this happen to me? Why did my child have to be sick? Why did my mom have to die? So on and so on and so on. Why this sickness? Why this? Why this? Most of the time we don't know. And we might not really know until the end of time when God tells us. But we can know that God is in control. And he's, he's with me. Because he's promised to be near the brokenhearted. He's promised us, promised us to not leave us or forsake us. Then we hit this tragic day where the Sabaeans, they are probably inhabited some Sheba in the southern Arabia. They come and this, these people, they come in and they, they steal uh, And they steal the things they steal. I can't find it right now. 
they take the they would take the oxen and the donkeys. They take all those, and then we have the Chaldeans. Um, no, then we have the one. Then we have a natural disaster, or fire is going to fall from heaven, and they consume, uh, and they consume the uh, the sheep. And then we have the Chaldeans, a raiding party, and the they are the they are the ancestors of those people from the Babylonian Empire. They might come from Mesopotamia, from the northeast. They would raid into the country. And this is not like unusual. This can actually happen. They raid in and they steal all his wealth. That's all the camels. And then, then comes the news that a wind came in, crashes down on Job's ten children, and they all die. So you have two bands of raiders coming in and stealing his property. You say, well, I mean, that can happen. And so Satan just incited those people against Job to come in and just steal his stuff. You might have an issue with the two other things happening. Some commentator said maybe it was lightning that came down and just destroyed everything. Well, why did God let Satan have control over lightning? Lightning at that point. And then you have the, the four winds killing the children. Why did God let Satan control the wind so he could kill Job's ten children. But how does Job respond? This is probably the worst day in anyone's life, ever. He, he went from being the greatest man in the East to having four servants left and a wife that doesn't really like him much. We'll read that next week. Job worships. He robes. He shows the signs in the morning. And then he worships. Oh, and here we're confronted. Our own hearts. How do I respond when tragedy happens? Will I shake my fist at God because something bad happens? Here we're confronted with a man who, in an afternoon, loses everything. At least earthly possessions and even his children. Job holds on and worships God. And then he quotes something I think we all need to, all need to realize is also true today, 4,000 years later. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. Or as God says in Genesis, from dust you are you are made from dust, and from dust you will return, and you cannot take any of your earthly things. 
the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This was actually also, I was just thinking about this part. Did God really take it away though? Some of my charismatic brothers there was like, God doesn't ever take it away. And I was like, I was thinking this, this instance actually, it was actually Satan taking his things away. I was talking to, this, I was talking to uh, uh, one of my friends who, who studies theology and he says there are some people, some people are, depends on, and this is, a, I think this is a denominational thing. Some people are like, is this really Job's true heart? Is Job really worshipping here? Or is he being religious? You see, he's highly religious. That maybe even his, you know, maybe my children did something wrong, I'll do some sacrifices. Is Job being really religious here, or is this his true heart that we see? I think that's a good challenge for us too, especially if you grew up in church and you are very religious. Is, is my response a religious one, or is this my true relationship with God? At least I think verse 22 says something that the way he responds is not sinful and he doesn't accuse God of anything. I did some reflections after reading through the book of Job again. And Job has a lot of talk about fearing God. Which is good. It's, it's we're commanded the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. But Jesus, when Jesus is asking Mark, um, and he quote, oh, that's not Mark. That's Romans. There, uh, he's he's asked he's asked by the Pharisees, what is the what is the most important uh, commandment? And then Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy six. And this is after Job doesn't have this because Deuteronomy is not written at this point. But, but what Jesus says and points to who God is, he says, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. So, in Job, we don't really see that kind of a relationship with God. We see it one as a, a, very, a very just God, not so much a God that loves me or that I should love. That was just one of my reflections on, on going through it. Also, smart people say that the, the, the theme that is really big here is, is God just? And what does it look like that God is just? The question that confronts us is, what do I do even in tragedy? Do I love God? Do you love God with all your heart, mind, soul? Because that sets a course for our lives of how we react to others and how, how we respond to God when trouble comes. And we know it will come. If we live for God, we will be persecuted. 
and we will suffer. We see that again and again in the New Testament, and I think maybe that's where I have the Romans. Yes? Because is this the heart we have when trouble comes? Like, where Paul says in Romans, he says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. And then Paul says, and you can read how much, much Paul goes through, it's not the same as Job, but he goes through a lot of beatings, uh, shipwrecks, and so on. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this pe- pe- present times are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Paul says, The stuff that's happening to me. I'm beaten, I'm all these things, shipwrecks. It's nothing compared to what it's going to be with Jesus face to face. Now I think those are some of the times that I don't think we should ever belittle anyone's suffering. And we'll see Job's friends show up uh, next week or the next week. And we see their first response is fantastic, but then we see not so good responses. We never want to belittle anyone's suffering. That's why let's get to know God really, really well, so that when we are suffering, we know that we can trust Him. We know that He's good, even though it seems like He's not. We understand the magnitude of what Jesus has done for us because then our hope is more and more and more and more in the glory that is to come. Indeed, all who decide to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While you people and apostles were going from bad to worse, Deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned, and as firmly believed, knowing that who, from whom you have learned it, and from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then we have all scripture is read out by God that we started with. Now for us, it's different. Job doesn't have this revelation of who God is in Christ. He hasn't seen Jesus yet. So it's different for us. We know that we're not alone. We know, or at least we've heard about what Jesus has done. We know more fully what God is like. We know we are called to love Him with all heart, mind, soul, and body. We cannot do that and we fail. But we're not alone because we have somebody who... We have somebody who intercedes for us. Sorry, I will read it to you. We have Jesus who intercedes for us. We have an advocate now. When the accuser comes, we have an advocate with Jesus. 
One of the big problems Job has in Job is like, how can God understand my problems? If I just had somebody that could help me to, to explain to God how I feel, well, we know in Christ Jesus, we know God experienced what we experience. God's not just far away, He knows exactly what it's like to be us. And we have seen in Christ Jesus a more fully revelation of who God is. The one who comes, the one who takes the pain on himself, the ones that provide for all the things that we have caused other people to suffer. And so from Hebrews 7, we have, like, we have Jesus as the advocate. Consequently, he is able to save us to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So God, Jesus is interceding for us, praying for us. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, talking about Jesus as the high priest, the mediator, the one Job was looking for. Because he didn't understand, he didn't, I'm getting ahead of myself in the story, but he wants God to understand him. And he doesn't think God understands him. But we have a high priest in Jesus that is his only mediator. Innocent, untamed, separated from sinners, and exalted in heaven. And so it's interesting because these verses come together again. So there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus, whom gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So Jesus is this only mediator that Job was looking for. The one that we have. So when tragedy strikes... We hold on to the, that there is one mediator between us and God. And God understands us. He understands what it means to lose, suffer. And we actually can understand that God loves us. And then we can love Him. As Jamie writes, we love because He loved us first. So it's my appeal to you as we study this book, and you'll be like, oh, this is crazy, and you might be like me, like it's a lot of poetry and people talking back and forth. No, I appeal to you that you get into this study with me. Maybe even you come here, you bring your tablet, you bring your phone, or you bring a little note thing. So you know down what God is doing in you as we go through this book. Then you pray about that stuff with God, and then you share it with us. Because God is going to reveal stuff to you that you might not reveal to some other people next to you. But it can be a great encouragement for them. And we will grow through the study of this book. And again, I, I, I want you guys to study Jesus through the Bible, to sing, to pray, to read. Because do it now. Trouble will come. You live in a fallen world and tragedy will happen. The more you know God now, 
the more you have developed your relationship with Jesus now will help you through those tough times. Many people, many people reject God when it gets difficult. It's like, well, God would never let this happen if he was a good God. Sometimes God saves people out of tragedies, car wrecks, whatever. And he chooses to save people from really bad situations. All people just turn away from God and just stop blaming him for everything that went wrong. Well, God, well, if you this and if you this, the problem is, you can say all sorts of things about what God should be, but if you have no idea who he is, who are you to say what God should be doing? The question for me and for you today is, what are you doing to cultivate this relationship with Jesus now? If I am right, and it seems like the Bible says it, trouble will come to you guys. If you live a faithful life for Jesus, there will be trouble. But it will be worth it, going through the trouble with Jesus. Because what if Jesus, in your trouble, is growing you to be closer to God, to appreciate what He's done more, and you would see the glory of the coming life as Paul does. In the New Testament, Job is not mentioned many times, but he's mentioned one time by James as an example of perseverance, of a guy who stayed in there. There's been many readings of Job and, and the Jews at some point say, like, he's a bad guy, he's like, so like he's the blasphemer. As, as the Christians go to the book, they're like, no, 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 he holds on. He holds on in there. He knows his Redeemer lives. He knows that God is going to come. And James uses him as an example of perseverance. We all need perseverance. And we talked about that before. So I just want to encourage you to dive in. Dive in hard. Read, read the chapters. Study them. Share with others. And then I got this week's questions for you. Have you ever read the book of Job before? If you did, what stuck out to you? Questions about today's text. What can Satan do? What can't he do? How do I respond to suffering? How will you respond to suffering? Is there a difference between fearing and loving God? How are you cultivating your relationship with Jesus? And there's a link to two videos that are by the Bible Project people. And one is an overview and one is a thematic. And they're really good. Um, they're really good and well made. I do want to plead with you one more time. Those are great. But you being in the Word of God is even better. Because that's where God can mold you. That's where He can mold your heart. So I just want to invite you in. Spend time in the Bible. Spend time with God. Take, take time to come to the sermons or listen to the sermons. Talk about it with other people. Praying, worshipping. God will grow you. He will make himself more known. You might get a better understanding of who you are too. And you might get a better understanding of who Jesus is. And the Holy Spirit can encourage us all to become more like Jesus. May God bless you and me as we study this book together. 
And may God receive all the praise and glory. Amen. Lord God, we just thank you so much for this time. We can just come to you with this maybe obscure book in some senses. And I just pray you give us the light of your Holy Spirit as we work as we work it through the book. Lord God, sometimes we have many questions. Lord, I just pray you give us the heart's ability to see um, some of the things you're doing. I pray we have a tender heart and know, Jesus, what you've done for us. So we will see you in the light. Holy Spirit, I pray on each of us, our hearts here. You want enlighten them and illumine them. Give us a heart to read your word, to share it with one another, and most of all, live it out. And we pray that we will be to praise you to the praise of your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name.